I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, that's certainly right. It is time to dive into a bottle of Burgundy Grape. I've got a, a pretty standard bottle this week, but as I cross to you, Mark Schwarzer, there could be any number of things that you're having this week because you are living it up in Spain. I have never seen you so happy. Look at that <laughs> smile. Look at that smile. You are like a child. This is brilliant. What can I say? Weather's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. There's not a cloud in the sky, a little bit of a breeze. The water is like a nice little chill to it. So when you get into it, sure. it's like, whoa. And whoa. then after that, it's, it's fantastic. Um, you feel incredibly refreshed afterwards. Been going for a run along the beach at like 9.30 at night. It's been, what can I say? The food, the, the people, everything is amazing about it. I bet you wish you played in Spain. Every time you're there, you must think, oh. I, I, I did at one stage in my career really want, wanted to come to Spain to play. And, and, and I kind of explored various avenues of, of, of coming to Spain, but it never kind of worked out. And there was never, never a, a proper one. There was, no, there was never an opportunity to come here. So um, in the end, I, I always stay in the Premier League. And, and you know, I, I have no regrets in that regard. I mean, I, I come to Spain and, and I, love, I love coming here. We come here every year and have been coming here for, for many, many, many years. Have you launched into the red yet? I'm sure you have. But what's been the oh, of course, standard of course this I week? <laughs> sorry. Actually, sorry. I'll, I'll delete that bit out. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, of course <laughs> we've been. You know, and, and again, I've been sticking to locals. You know, true to my mm-hmm. word, like I say, when I go to Spain, I drink Spanish wine. And I've gone even further these days because I go truly local wine. Right. Um, we, actually, we actually had a, a local one uh, a couple of months back, you and I. I brought a bottle I brought back from here. Um, I have to look up the name later on. But this one is another very much a local red wine. What have we? Ooh, I like it. Great logo. Yeah, it's a Vinadero. Vinadero. And it's a, it's a, um, uh, it's a, it's a Tempranillo. So it's kind of mm-hmm. a little bit, not, a, not as, not as uh, strong as a, as a Cab Sav, but it's stronger than a Pinot. Um, really, really nice drop. And again, just like I like it, mate. Right down to that bargain. Yeah. Prices, I, think. <laughs> I think it was like I think it was like about three euros fifty or somewhere. No way. It's just yeah, it's it's insanely good value for money and it's a very nice drop of red. I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm going for a 2017 Barossa Inc. Um, it's made its way into my local uh, shop down the road. So I'm very much looking forward to going into that is a Shiraz. So we've really we've picked our lanes and we mark at this point in we have. Podcast. We have. You're, you, you're also very predictable. I mean, as, as yeah. I'm obviously predictable, uh, yeah. hence I'm in Spain. I, you, know, you would have guessed it, obviously, that I would yeah. be drinking a Spanish red, of course. Um, and uh, that's pretty much what I'll be drinking for the remainder of my time here. 
All right, Mark, let's get stuck into the wine and the football. Beautiful thing about this week is because you've been living it up in, in Spain and on the beach, uh, I've just gone, I've, I've really gone for, for, you know, the topics that we're going for this week and you don't have too yep. much of an idea as to what we're going to go for. So everything is going to be a complete shock as we go okay. head first, which Off I'm really looking forward to. So what I thought would be good is if we go back to one of our earlier, I want to say maybe third or fourth episodes we ever did, it was called The Sack Race, where we sort of had a look yep. at where we think a few of the managers uh, would be heading and, and, and who um, you know, might lose their job, unfortunately. Not, not from a negative perspective, but just where we thought it might go. Because I actually think this year's been fantastic for not losing managers. We've had two big ones, in particular with, with Tottenham and, and Arsenal. But generally, it's been pretty good. And the reason why I thought of this is because of the quotes from Michael Owen talking about Hasenhutl, who said, there's not a lot of managers that can lose 9-0 and keep their job. There's a lot of Jurgen Klopp about Hasenhutl. And that is such a good point. I think that, that game against Leicester has been well and truly forgotten. They have had such a great turnaround. Yeah, they have. It's been quite sensational, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, to... To have uh, turned it around as quickly as they have, uh, well, quickly as they have, as well as they have within the season is truly remarkable. And obviously, it's a very much a big credit to Ralph Hasenhutl and the players. They've obviously bought into yeah. him. You know, they, they obviously trusted him. They obviously felt that he was the right man, as did the club. First and foremost, the club have to feel that way. And if they, if they, hadn't, if, if they hadn't felt that way, they would have sacked him after that 9-0, yeah. like, like you're saying, like Michael Owen was saying. So... Um, I, I listen. I'd, I'd heard things about him from from Germany. He was highly regarded coming out of Germany, and uh, so the style of football that he wanted to play. It was a case of you know coming from RB Leipzig and coming to to Southampton. Obviously, slightly different wage budgets, uh, possibilities of bringing in different players, network. Um, so you know it was always going to be a different challenge for him. And also, Southampton have gone through a different phase of of the ownership and the way that they run their football club. So. That also has been challenging. Southampton have lost a lot, a lot of top, top class players over the years. Uh, so it's been a continuous rebuilding and eventually it, always, it, it will catch up on you. This season seemed like the season it was going to catch up on them. Mm. Uh, but he's been the man that's turned it around. Together with his players, of course, because it's not possible without your players. But he has made uh, a very ordinary looking group of players into a very well-organised team and a team that's fighting for everything. I mean, I remember early on in the season, I, I, I went to a couple of their games. They looked like a team that were relegated after about the first three months of the season. They, they just looked like they had no chance of staying in this league. And, um, and, and the, the, the turnaround has been, like I said before, remarkable. Do you think storylines like this in particular, you know, we don't know what the future will hold, but do you think that it gives other managers confidence? Because do you think, that, do you think the powers that beat football clubs often act a bit too soon? And they hit panic yeah. mode when they don't really need to? Well, I, all, all it says is that it's possible that you can lose a game 9-0 and still keep your job. Because, I, you know, you, you, you've got to take it on, on, it on, a, on a club-by-club basis. And I think if you're a West Ham manager and David Moyes lost 9-0 tomorrow, I don't think he'd have his job the next day. No. You know, and, 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 and that's not to say that it wouldn't happen to many other clubs. I think it would. And it'd probably happen to the vast majority of clubs. I don't think there's too many clubs around that you could afford to lose those sort of games. I mean, unless you're a, even, even, even if say, I don't know, even if say Liverpool went to lose 9-0, obviously they're not going to sack Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. But there's going to be, I mean, not that they're going to, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost an impossibility that that would happen. But my, my point is that, you know, Liverpool would have lose 9-0, 
they wouldn't sack Jurgen Klopp, but imagine the pressure he'd be under just even mm. after that one result. Um, but for a club like a lesser club like a Southampton, it just shows you that the leadership of that club is obviously getting things right in so many ways. You know, they, they saw, they identified a manager that has ability, a manager that is obviously a very good manager. And also, probably more importantly, they were able to identify and establish whether or not there was a, 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 a relationship between the manager and the players and yeah. how, 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 how constructive that relationship was or, or destructive. And they obviously came to the, the conclusion that having Ralph Hasenhutl as manager still was the best way forward for the club. And remember, it, wasn't, it was even probably three months, or probably a bit longer now, probably about five months ago, they were looking at giving him a new deal already. And they weren't, they weren't safe by any means. They were already impressed with the, return, the turnaround of, of their squad. Um, and obviously, he's only just... And he said himself, I don't deserve a new contract just yet. Let's wait until we get to a point where we're either safe or just about safe, um, if we're just about safe. And, and obviously, what is it, a week or two ago, he, he signed his new contract. So, I mean, that, that speaks volume of the man himself as well. Are we surprised that these conversations haven't been had or are they being had around Norwich and Daniel Farker? Because I get a similar vibe. Like when, when they've been doing well, certainly last year in the championship, his connection with the players was really evident. You know, he was a real people's person. You know, he was a man of Norwich uh, very easily. And I wonder, I, I was at the game on the weekend and I, I honestly, I mean, you can, you can say, well, obviously their attitudes and their feelings are going to be pretty negative at the moment because they're on such a bad run. But you do get the sense that he's lost that, you know, that oomph or that special something between his players. Yeah, but that's, that's always normal. When, when you go through a season that they've had, Norwich, you know, they started off incredibly well. And, and, and it was almost like they were going to do what Sheffield United are actually doing right now. Correct. They yeah. were the team that you thought, you know what, Pookie's on this incredible run. Um, and you just think, wow, actually, you know what, they've got a lot of injuries, but they're still winning games. Once those players come back defensively, those, those players, key players come back, they're, they're going to go, they're going to push on. But it's actually been the reverse. Mm-hmm. They've gone the other way. And, and I think also putting things in perspective. I mean, how much money did Norwich spend? I think 20 or 30 million in the, in the, off, in, in the off season last season. So I think the reality was already there. The, the expectation was let's give it the best possible shout. If we can put on a really good show, Maybe we'll sell a couple of players. Maybe we'll sell, we'll sell a couple of players for 20, 30, 40 million. So on top of the money they've already received for being in the, in the Premier League, you know, the, the owners are not extremely wealthy. The club is kind of has its limits as to yeah. what they can and can't spend. They're, they're, they're run by all accounts in a very, very secure financial way. And, I, 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 you know, you've got to, in a lot of ways, take your hat off to, to the way that they run their club. They're not going to go down and struggle in terms of financially. They may struggle on the football pitch still, you never know, but they're not going to struggle financially. And I think that speaks volumes in the club, knowing their position, having a, a hell of a go at it. Yes, the last couple of months has been, been disappointing. And, and Daniel Farker, you can see he's a guy that's clearly frustrated with the way that things have turned out. But I think there's a sense of reality as well, realisation of, you know what, what we've been able to accomplish even on the limited amount of money that we've had. Look, Aston Villa and Dean Smith went out and spent 130-odd million pounds on players and look where they are. You know, they're one place above them. You know, I, I know it should be at this stage looking at themselves going, thank goodness we didn't do what, Nor- uh, what Aston Villa did. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Speaking of um, losing games, I've got a stat for you, Mark, that you are going like you you'll spit your temperillo out. You it's that it's that Go crazy on. of a stat. Give it to me. Give it to Man, me. Man City have now lost yep. more games than Wolves, Man United, and Arsenal this season. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, how does that even compute? I'm not going to spit my I'm not going to spit my Tempanillo out because that Spend doesn't me. surprise you. They've lost they've lost nine games this season. I know that they've lost the last three go, games on, on uh, away from home on a spin. Um, and you know what? If you saw you saw the game against Southampton on the weekend, that that was never a one nil. It should have been a four or five one win to to Manchester City. Yeah. So the, the part of the issue, and this is what people have been talking about quite a lot recently as well, is that. They didn't really refresh their squad. They didn't replace um, no. uh, anyone really. You know, they, they lost one of their, their best defenders, yeah. Vincent Company. Even though he was at the end of his career, he was still their best defender. Laporte has had numerous issues with injuries throughout the course of the season. That hasn't helped, and they've kind of stood still a little bit in that regard. You know, you're going to have David Silva moving on and well, retiring in the season, I think, or, or possibly moving, definitely moving on. I'm not sure retiring or not. So it's, it's primed. I think there'll be a few players leaving. They're talking about John Stones possibly going. Obviously, Sané's going. Um, what did you think? Did you like him in the Bayern Munich shirt? He looks good. It looks right. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> perfect for them, you know. Like, and the, the only issue, you, I, I look at it and go, okay, where's he going to play? Yeah. Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, I mean, Alfonso Davies is playing left back. I mean, you know, where is he going to even play? Mm. I don't, I don't quite know. Unless, unless they look at trying to play uh, um, Serge Gnabry maybe a bit deeper as maybe even a right, a right wing back, right full back, like they've done with Alfonso Davies. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I really don't. You can't tell me he's going to go from a big team sitting on the bench to another big team to sit on the bench. Like that would be a well, pointless exercise for him. There's no guarantee he'll walk straight in a team to play. But, you know, you would expect him to play a big, big part. And I, and I think, you know, I think the way that, that Hansi Miller's got his... Hansi Flick, sorry, has got his playing his team has been, been remarkable. But then you've got some players who are, you know, particularly Miller and Lewandowski are kind of their twilight to their career. Yeah. Uh, well, you would say that. I mean, this is the thing. I got confused there. Miller's only 30 years old. So he's not even at his twilight, really. Let's be honest. He should play for at least another three or four years at this level and do it relatively comfortable. Um, so, you know what? They need strength in numbers. They need depth. And, and I think one thing, one thing they've got by is versatility in players. You know, whether it's Alaba playing in midfield or playing as a centre-half or a left or a right. I mean, left back, right back. He can play anywhere. You yeah. know, when you, when you, when you, you know... It's it's pretty. Kimmich can play right back. He can play at centre half. He's played at centre half this season. They've needed players like that. They, Alfonso Davies. They've needed that versatility. The thing is with Sane, is I think he's just an out and out winger. I don't yeah. think there's anything else to him. But we'll see. We'll see. But it's an exciting player. I, I, listen, I, I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a really really good player. And obviously, I think his relationship with Pep Guardiola has soured. Mm. And therefore, there was only one, one way for him to go, and that was out of the club. So you're trying to tell me that in the real world, it doesn't work like it does in FIFA. When you're trying to buy a player in FIFA, and you're sorting out their contract, and they say, I will only come to your club if, if I play every game. 
if I'm crucial? There'll Does be some like clubs. No, there'll be some clubs, like, like smaller clubs or lesser clubs will want to try and sign a big-name player. So, like, when Fulham signed Dimitar Berbatov, there would have been absolutely zero, zero discussion about whether he was going to play or not. It was a given that yep. he was going to play no matter what. You know, he almost had to, you know, he almost had to, to, to play on one, be only able to play on one leg for maybe didn't consider taking him out of the team. Whether he played well or didn't play well, he was always going to play. At the bigger clubs, I, you know, particularly Bayern Munich, I, I don't think there's any guarantees. I, I, I think, you know, Thomas Miller, listen, been in the club since he was eight years old, you know, under, under, under Nikolkovic, he was found himself on the outer. It looked like he was going to leave the club. He was seriously considering and listening. He was already in discussions with other clubs about leaving the club. So, you know, no one's guaranteed a position at the big clubs. But then saying that, if you, if you were Man City and you wanted to sign Lionel Messi, which the longer he does, goes without signing his contract, that much, mm-hmm. whatever, the more that's a possibility, so long as Pep Guardiola is still at Man City. They're not going to sign him without him being guaranteed he's going to play every game. For sure. Like, it'd probably be a verbal thing. Like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm buying you because you're going to play every week. It's not that you're not going to play every week. You're going to play every week. The only games you might not play is a League Cup game or a game, second leg of a, of a, of a Cup game or a Champions League game that we've already won or a good stage game that we're already through. Other than that, you know, it's, there, there's certain... I mean, Ronaldo's gone to Juve with, with the belief... I mean, firstly the expense of bringing him to the club, they can't afford not to play him, really. No. No, true. I mean, uh, you've got me daydreaming there. Imagine Lionel Messi playing in the League Cup against Swindon. Love, that would be brilliant. Wouldn't that just oh, be the best? Yeah. I mean, you know, Swindon would love it because in, in so many <laughs> ways, particularly if he was at Swindon, it, 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 the, 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 the stadium would be packed. Oh, before. absolutely. You know, anywhere they went. I mean, be the, the lower league, if, if Manchester were playing his lower league team, They'd be crying out for him to play because it'd be, you know, what a draw card. Hey, I tell you what, speaking of players that, that don't necessarily, you know, will never walk in or you're not guaranteed a place. Quick one on uh, my mate, Emmy Martinez. Uh, another clean sheet for Arsenal. Thanks for coming. I mean, he is not necessarily Leno standard because we know that we were, we're, he's, a, he's a big, we're a big fan of Leno on, on the Two Shot Reds podcast. Yep. But Martinez has seriously stepped up. He has put his hand right up in the air for Arteta. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, he's done, a, he's done a really good job. And I think what for Arteta is that, you know, Leno, Leno for me is number one, clearly a number one. And I think Martinez knows that. I mean, he sees this as a great opportunity. You know, he said himself that he didn't want to really have this opportunity under those circumstances because he's very close with Leno. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you, you, you've got to take your opportunity when it comes to you and however it comes to you. And, and, he, and he's doing that so far. Um, I, listen, hold my hand up. I, had, I gave Arsenal no chance of winning at Wolves. Because yeah. I thought there was no chance. And let's be honest, did you think they had a chance no, to win it? No way. God, no. Not they played exactly. out of their skin and Wolves did not. They yeah. weren't the same side. It was weird. It was weird. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it just goes to show you what they can do. I mean, Saka's finish was, was exceptional. Yeah. I mean, it was a brilliant finish. Like, uh, as people would say most commonly, it was a cultured finish. You know, he watched it. He watched it and he guided it into the corner. It was a brilliant, brilliant. It was a, it was a difficult finish and he made it look easy. Jeez, you love Arsenal. You are obsessed. I'm just trying to give them a compliment. You, every love, now, them. you love You know, them. the other thing I thought was even, I was really impressed with Lacazette's goal. I mean, that, that, that's a Lacazette goal, that one. Through yeah. and through. That sharpness around that six-yard box. 
to get his foot in front of the defender, take a touch, turn back. Yeah. Yeah. Great. You can see the passion. Play. When he scored, it was good to see him, wasn't it? Everyone was like, oh, yes. thank God. Oh, <laughs> I like him. Yeah. I, I like Lacazette. I, I, I'm a big fan of him. I, I think he's got something special. He's a big fan of yours, specifically yeah, for the podcast. I, he loves I, it. I thought, I, I thought so. Yeah. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. Mark, this Barossa rink is doing some serious bits and pieces for me. How's yours? Oh, geez, that uh, as I take a sip. <laughs> as, I take a, as, I, as I take a sip. Um, what's, what's mine like? Mine's really nice. Um, it's, uh, like I said, it's, 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 it's stronger than a Pinot, which is my favourite. Yep. Um, it's a typical Spanish, like a Rioja, Rioja type of feel to it. You know, Tempranillo, really nice, smooth. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite, I, I, find it, I find it quite cultured. Sure. It's got a quite cultured feel about it. It's um, expressive but elegant. Mm. And it's something that it goes mm-hmm. down well with, you know, a little tapas, a bit of tapas. Like last night on the terrace sitting up there. Oh, you know, pan fried a couple of these like pork. They call it a lomo. It's a lomo, yeah. uh, which got a little bit of spice on, like a little bit, of, a little bit of uh, marinade on it. We went in a pan with garlic, and then I, we had some cheeses and some jamon and, and chorizo and all that sort of stuff. And then a glass of red wine. Have you got wine. a barbecue at this place? I I, I do, and uh, I'm just I'm just putting it back into order. And I had to kind of improvise with a stand. I've got this rack, and I had mm-hmm. to get out the angle grinder and. Chop really? it up a little bit and yeah, and make sure that it's at the right height, can sit on my terrace and I'm almost there. So, and I've just given it a good clean. I haven't used it for about two years. So I've given it a proper, really good clean. What about a big paella dish? Do you have one of those there? Because that's absolutely, absolutely. Is that absolutely. stable in your house? That's standard. Yeah, standard here and in, and in the UK. Oh, really? Is it a bit like having your wee picks oh. every morning? Sort of oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's not that we have it regularly, it's a special occasion thing. Uh, what we actually have more regularly these days is, is what's called a fideuwa, which is the, the pasta version of like a paella. But you, you cook it, you can cook it two different ways. You can cook it exactly the same way as a paella in a big flat dish, or you yeah. can cook it in a deeper dish and you can stir it and mix it and all that sort of stuff. And I'm such a big fan of it, and we, we all are big fans of it, that we also, what we do is we actually buy the stock from right. here in Spain and bring it back to the UK. Because that makes all of the difference with the, the taste of, of, and the flavour of the beer. Now, speaking of teams that, we, that could be relegated, I've got the bottom five right at the moment. Yep. And I've looked at their lists and I've gone, okay, who are going to be the relegated stars that get a gig in the Premier League next year? So in an alternative universe, because we don't know which three are going down, but let's, in an alternative universe, let's just say the bottom five are, right? So I'm just using these examples for each club. Yep. What do you think about this? Cantwell and Max Ahrens from Norwich. Declan Rice from West Ham. Eames from Southampton. From Aston Villa, I've got Grealish and Douglas Louise. Uh, From Watford, definitely Delafeo. Possibly Welbeck as a squad kind of situation. And then maybe as a third... String uh, goalkeeper Ben Foster. Thoughts you, on are you going? You're going as far as saying that he's a third string. Wow. Well, he's 37 wow. years of age. Like it's and uh, and. See, I, I think you missed. But first, how long? When 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 you went to Chelsea, that was your first backup role. I, I was 40. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. But you're it's a better goalkeeper than Ben Foster. He's still got a good three years. He's still got a good three years of being number one. Um, I think there's also two two other players that you did not mention from Norwich. Um, I say you mentioned Max Ahrens. Yes, you did. Yep. Jamal Jamal Lewis, the, uh, the left back. I think he's a, he's a big standout as well. I think he, he's a he's he's a great chance for for going elsewhere. Cantwell, absolutely. Um, and, and it'd be interesting to see what happens to Timo Puki. Yeah. Whether or not anyone sort of kind of takes a, a bit of a is it a punt? Yeah, it probably is a bit of a punt on on, on taking him. Um, you know, Bournemouth is a is an interesting one. If they go down, I think there's a number. Well, I've of not players. included. I've actually, unfortunately, not included anyone on the list. Really? Is that, yeah, yeah is that well, bad? No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan Aki, absolutely. Yeah, there's absolutely. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, Nathan Aki won't find a club. Uh, listen, I think Joshua King will end up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Harry Wilson, um, you know, Callum Wilson, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I think. Uh, Philip Bing- Billing, I- I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a, I think he's a good player, midfield player. They signed from Huddersfield. The problem is, if they go down, he ends up being mm-hmm. that player that's gone from two successive relegations, mm-hmm. um, which is never uh, not, not the greatest thing to do. I think no. Junior Stanislas, Stanislas is is a, is a decent player. I think Norwich have got quite a lot of players that could end up going elsewhere. Um, it's just whether or not they've got the ability, if they do get relegated, to keep hold of players. Yeah. Um, and, and that's going to be their biggest challenge. Also, it'd be interesting to see Aaron Ramsdale, the goalkeeper. I, I, I mean, what I've seen of him, you know, they talk about him being, you know, this, this, this emerging talent. You know, listen, I think he's done okay. I don't think he's been fantastic. Um, uh, I, I'd be interested to see. I, I could see him being a number two stroke number three at, a, at, a, at another club. Not, so what's the- not a number one. What's the criteria that we're looking for when, just, when sort of looking at these teams that are struggling? Is it just not only their best player, but are you looking at the age? You know, as someone who's a 19, 20-year-old, you go, well, it's unfair to be put into the, the category of, of the rest of the team. Well, what are we actually looking for here? Um, yeah, listen, I think there's a number of things you can look at. You know, there's a short-term perspective as well. You know, you, players with a lot of experience, you know. Um, you know, if you say, for example, West Ham, if West Ham will go down, Lucas Sabianski, you know, yeah. he's been he's yeah. been great for them, you know. And if they were to go down, would Darren Randolph be the one that becomes number one at West Ham then for the for the championship season? Aaron Cresswell is a guy that I I I I think he's a good player. I think he's a player that can add something to a Premier yeah. League side, you know, uh, as a, as a, as a really good squad player. Antonio, um, you know, Danny, yeah, Antonio, I think is a really exciting player and someone that. You know, as long as he stays injury free, I think absolutely. I think he'd be snapped up, snapped up. Declan Rice, it's a it's a no brainer. I think yeah. from what I hear, you know, Chelsea are very very keen on on, on taking him. Um, and then there's again, there's a, there's a long list of players. Um, I think your, your players like Snodgrass would probably stay. You know, yeah. I think he'd be looking at Sebastian Haller. I'd be surprised if he would stay. Then I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they were to be relegated. Really I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up somewhere back in Germany. Maybe on even on loan to begin with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, listen. I think there's a number of number of players that could move on. Even you know, Watson's the same. Like you said, you, know, you mentioned a few players there. Ben Foster, one in particular. Telefoe. Um, you know, you could see them absolutely moving on elsewhere. What about a Jack uh, Jack Wheelish? Wheelish? Jack Wheelish? Uh, not uh, Jack Wheelish. <laughs> So I've combined yep. three or four players there. Oh, yeah, you have, yeah. I'd, I'd like to know what you think about Jack Wilshere. 
because he's had a yes. one hell of a fall from grace, you know, from where he, he should have he ended has. at this age. I, I, I think his injuries have taken their toll on him. I, I yeah. really do. I think his ankle injury has been such a bad one uh, and persistent. I think he's, he's suffered physically from it. Um, I, I was at a cup game when West Ham played away. Um, uh, was, it, was it Newport? I think it was Newport early on in the season, uh, FA Cup game. And he just looked, like, give him the ball, give him a bit of space. No doubting his ability on the ball. There's no doubting he's got vision. He's got the ability to find a pass. But if he gets, if he gets the ball taken off him, there's very little chance for him to win the ball back. He gets, people get around him too easily. So he's a bit of a he's a bit of that luxury-ish sort of player that can be, um, and it's funny you know because for me like Danny Murphy wasn't a quick player anymore. He used to be that player that used to go box to box. But when I played with him at Fulham, he wasn't that player anymore. He could he would get up and back, but he didn't have the same engine. So mm. he'd lost a little bit of pace because that's one of the first things that you lose as a player. You lose that speed, and Murph definitely lost a little bit of that and the ability to get up and back. But his vision. His reading of the game was exceptional, and I think, and I think he what he did was he he, he identified that and he and he changed his game a little bit, so he became that more of a playmaker, even more of a playmaker rather than that one that would be up and back, up and back, and and and, and helping out defensively as much as in attack. Uh, and I think that's something that Jack Jack Wilshere needs to look at. He needs to adapt his game a little bit. He needs to actually pull back from being that player that tries to do everything. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Rather than that one that actually tries to conserve energy, plays in a certain area of the field and bosses that and have the right players around him. That's also what, he ha- what uh, Danny Murphy had at Fulham. We had the right combination of players around him to help him out and the system in place. So very rarely was he exposed for his weaknesses. Yeah. I think that Jack Wilshere would probably struggle in the championship. A little bit more physical, I think his injuries would, would probably flare up even more so. And there's not enough yeah. room, I don't think, from you know, the limited championship football that I have seen, that a, a, a nice sort of almost a sexy playmaker almost. You know, that doesn't always have a role in the championship because it's a bit more cutthroat. Bit, yeah, bit... It, de- it depends on the team, doesn't it? I mean, like, you, know, you, you think of a, of a Norwich, for example. Uh, would he fit in a Norwich team? He probably would, you know, with the right players around him. But then the issue is, I mean, from, from what you understand, he's, he's, he's got a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, Norwich are not going to be paying, giving that sort of money out to a player or, you know, of any player, really, of any, any, any level. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of style of football, I, I think he could fit in a Norwich team or you know, Daniel Farquhar and all that sort of stuff. Norwich is uh, a bit of a theme today. And the last thing I want to talk to you about isn't exactly about that, but it involves them a little bit. But on the weekend, Spiders. I went up. Spiders. Spiders. Spiders oh, the yeah. How, oh, so you did see that tweet, did you? I did. I liked it as well. Mm, uh, did you? Yeah, I liked it. Did you? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Normally, I normally like I get. It. I just, I just liked it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew it. I normally, I normally always like it. Oh well, I normally print it out every time you like one of my posts and put it up yeah, on my wall. Well, so I knew you didn't well, know. Bloody hell, your wall must be full. Yeah, it's, it's up there now. So what I did want to talk about from that game again, I'm obsessed with. Oh, I was a lot closer to the game this time around than I was at the Aston Villa game. So it was very cool, the Aston Villa game. But this time around, because it's a small stadium anyway, and where the media was sitting, you right, right, right there. Yes. So all yep. I was doing was focusing on what Aaron Moy and Matt Ryan were doing in terms of their communication. Yes. I've not heard Matt Ryan too much, but this game was impressive. Like I, I, I kind of it opened my eyes to see that other side to him as a as a bit of a general as a leader and he wasn't necessarily actually no he was he was telling you know always letting uh his defenders know you know what's your left what's your right doing things like that was really you know pumping his players up after a big tackle things like that so that was really good to see but I'm sure it mustn't be a massive surprise to anyone when I say that Aaron Moy I don't think opened his mouth once not only did he not, not talk on the field but when he was subbed off he, when people were talking to him and he just sort of said yes and no and, you know, man, a few words. But my question is, does he need to up that, up the ante a little bit to become a real midfield general in the Premier League? I mean, no one, everyone wouldn't shut up in that game. They were, everyone was talking. And it was just like the one, I just felt like he was the only person not, not talking. And I, I don't know, is that a bad thing? Maybe I'm overthinking it. Uh, I, I don't think he goes through the game not talking at all. I'm sure there's communication there. I'm sure that he does call for the ball. I'm sure that he does actually, um, you know, have his have his uh, his input. He's just he is a man of few words, and you know, having having had interviewed him a couple of a couple of occasions, he's not one to to really you know rattle off uh, the vocabulary. He's happy just to answer the question as quickly as possible and get out of there. Um, and, and that kind of that's him as a as a as an individual. He's he's quite a shyish sort of person. If you don't really really know him, if you know him sure. more, he's a, he's a little bit more open. Um, he's definitely off camera a lot a lot more relaxed. Um, but he's definitely a man of few words. Yeah, listen, is that an aspect of his game that he could probably improve upon? Yeah, why not? Absolutely. I I, I think being that player is a little bit more of an sort of has a bit more of an authority on the on the football pitch can. He can dictate the game a little bit more yeah. um, by, by being a little bit more vocal. And I think if he were to do that, and again, I'll revert back to a Danny Murphy. You know, it's Aaron, Aaron's, one of the, Aaron's weakness is probably the lack of speed, right? That he, he's not renowned for being a fast player. Yeah. And, 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 and people would say, and that's, I think, one of the biggest question marks when he came to the Premier League was, was he going to be good enough to play in the Premier League because he doesn't sort of have the, the pace to outrun players? But what he does has, he, he has, he's clever, he's intelligent on the football pitch. You know, he knows how to find a pass, he knows the moves to make, um, and uh, he's got great delivery, great service into the box, whether it's from, a, from, a, from a, a, a set play or whether it's from open play. So adding an extra bit to his game can only help him moving forward can only make him a better player. Yeah, big time. Can I, yeah, you're right. I think that's the better way to look at it, look at it because then when you look at his overall gameplay on the weekend, he got a fantastic assist and probably could have got two or three more. You know, very stiff to only walk out of there with the one goal. I thought, you know, his general play is exceptional. And I'm going to contradict myself because he used 
his pace then to get yeah. up on the right <laughs> to whip the ball in. So I'm going to contradict myself. But uh, it was Norwich, uh, Mark. Remember that. It was Norwich. So yeah, like, oh, but, no, but, you know, he, he, I, I think he had a bit of a head start as well. He was being caught. Yeah. That's why he whipped it in so early. <laughs> no, and it was a great ball. That, and that's what he does do, do. He does that really well. His delivery is exceptional. Um, and uh, there's another example of that. that. That's why the goal comes about. Because he sees the run. He whips in a fantastic ball. And all, all, the, all his teammates need to do is put his foot on the end of it, and he does. And it ends up in the back of the net. Now, and the communication from Matty Ryan, how important is it, do you think, for a team like Brighton? I actually really rate their centre-backs. I think they've, generally their defences seem pretty decent. But they, I mean, I'm trying to pick up on the body language of how I would communicate with someone. And if I'm telling someone, you know, I'll watch your back, or by the way, this is happening that... I would require um, them to acknowledge that I have spoken to them, right? But from a goalkeeper, do you need that at all from your defenders? Or, is, or is it, would he just be happy sitting out back, barking instructions and saying, what's your left, what's your right, and he doesn't need no, to yeah, but, actually but communicate what, with them? What you're looking for is you're looking for them turning their head. So if you're saying, what's your left shoulder, it's that quick glance that they know they're there. So that's right. confirmation already that they've listened to what you've said. Or you say, squeeze, you squeeze, push out. And there's that step out. You, you, under, you know, there's already confirmation. You don't need them to turn around and say, okay, what did you want me to do? Move out. Well, that's how the game passed. <laughs> sure. It sure. doesn't happen that way. So the confirmation is by their actions. Right. And, and that's what you're looking for each time. I mean, the, the thing with the goalkeeping and, 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 and speaking out of the back, you want your goalkeeper to be vocal. Yep. But you don't want your, your goalkeeper to be speaking all the time. Because if he's speaking all the time, it's like anything. You, know, it's, you, it's, you, you become a nag. You become someone that, in the end, your, your teammates start to switch off. So yep. therefore, your messages no longer become relevant. They don't become, they're not listening to anymore. So you, you can be then just, they're just going, oh, he just shouts the whole time. And yep. when there's a moment when you really need them to listen, they tend not to listen because it doesn't have the same effect. It's also about raising and lowering your different tones of your voice. So it's about whether or not something is really, it needs to be done really quickly. It's a really quick, forceful message that you're giving. Um, if it's time, it's like time. You've got time. And if it's like, man, on, man, on, man, on, because it's someone really close to you. So it, it's about the way that you, you also speak that has a big difference, a big influence on how a player reacts. It's like, if you would have been on a phone call to your mum and, you, and your mum sounds panicked on the phone, you know there's something wrong. Yeah. It's the same as the sort of vocal information you're giving to someone on the pitch because they're not looking at you. They've got their backs to you most of the time. So you, you're trying to not only give them the instructions by, by the words that you use, but also by the tones that you use. Do clubs, or certainly at, sort of at your younger age, do they employ psychologists or, or um I don't even know what the correct word would be, but body interpreters or, you know, that, that kind of thing to, to help you pick and choose exactly how to convey your tone and body language to convey no, the right no, message. Like, no, for a goalkeeper, it's more about what the goalkeeping coach gives you, how the instructions he gives you. And it's about, and if they're, if they're, if they're, if they're coaches or if they're trainers. So there's two different types of people, right? Mm -hmm. in, in terms of football, when it comes in, when it comes to a goalkeeping trainer or goalkeeping coach. So obviously the trainer is someone who just trains you and gives yeah. you very little feedback and very little 
So what's that? Drills and just drills and sprints and whatever. Just, just basically ticks the boxes for the number one to make sure the number one's happy. And then once he's happy, maybe you work with the number two to make sure they're happy. And they, they know, the goalkeepers know what they want. And the goalkeeping trainer is happy just to train them. And then you've got the goalkeeping coach who does all the training but also coaches you. And there's two very different types of people. And I've had a lot of, I've had a lot, a lot of trainers, very few goalkeeping coaches. So is that, is that as in up to the individual? You're not hired as a trainer or a coach. It is up to the individual that comes it's under the, the individual. coach. And they want to then... Easy, it's easy to train. Yeah. You could train me. I can train you. It's easy to train you. Yeah. If you have a little bit of knowledge about how to kick a ball, what sort of exercises to put together, and even that becomes even more simple because you can sit down with a player and go, what drills do you like? What yeah. do you like to work on? How do you like to do? What do you like to do on match day? And those are the sort of discussions that goalkeeping coaches have. And, and, and the coaches will have those conversations with you, but also will go, I've analysed this part of your game. Right. And I actually feel that, why don't you try this? Maybe I feel that you could be doing this maybe slightly better. Statistically, look, what, you, you know, what these stats are showing about your certain performance of your game, whether it's taking crosses, whether it's playing out of the back, you know, your, 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 your accuracy in terms of distribution out of the back, can that be improved upon? You know, uh, is he a good thrower? You know, positional play, you know, all this sort of stuff. They're goalkeeping coaches. So right. not only do they train you and prepare you for a match day, but they also coach you along the way. They give you pointers. They, they pick out things that you may not necessarily do right. And, and that's always the challenge because there are a lot of people out there that don't like to be told when they're not doing sure. something right. Everyone wants to hear how wonderful they are and how wonderful a job they're doing and how brilliant they are. And if you keep giving the goalkeeper or an outfield player the drills that they're the best at, they'll always be fantastic. Yeah. But then there'll be other aspects of the games that will suffer. And like I said, there are very few goalkeeping... Well, there are very few... I've had very few goalkeeping coaches. I've had a lot of goalkeeping trainers in my career. Do they still do that? Like, what, what was the ratio between a trainer or a coach in the twilight of your career when you would say that you've pretty much honed the best possible version of Mark Schwarzer? You, do they still... You never, you, no, you never stop learning. You, ne- right. you never stop learning. It doesn't matter what age you are. And, and I learned stuff when I went to Chelsea at 40, 40 years old. Um, I learned... I learned different things when I went to Leicester at, at, at 40, 41 and a half, whatever it was, yeah. you know, 42. So you never stop learning. It's whether or not you want to take that on board. It's whether yeah. or not you want to learn or whether you feel like, well, I'm 35 years old or I'm 30 years old and I don't need to learn anymore. I just need yeah. to be trained. And that's, what it, that's the easy way. That's actually easy for people to do because you never challenge. You never questioned. You're just trained and you're just basically your ego's being being uh, pampered to every time. Yeah. It's being stroked every time because you're doing the stuff that you are very good at. It's easy to train and do the exercises that are, that are my forte. It's easy, you know. To, if you were training, whatever training you want to do, whether you do, I don't know, whether whether you went for whether you ran or you cycled, you hate cycling but you love running. So the, the your trainer would only ever take you running because that was that was your strength. But you were terrible at doing, say, Pilates. But he'd never test you on it because, A, you didn't want to do it. And, B, there was always that you'd have to have a discussion and confrontation almost. And you'd have to try and explain to them what benefits they're going to receive from it. And then show them and coach them 
and and it's it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight and there are challenges that 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 you actually come up against when you are coaching not when you're training yeah. training is just keeping everyone happy just keeping everything ticking over like a substitute teacher yeah that's all you're doing all you're doing is coming in and making yeah. sure that everyone's happy with the way they do very few places you go to and where they're just trainers does someone improve if they improve it's more so to do with their natural improvement right. than to do with the goalkeeping trainer so you're telling me that when you would make your way to almost backpack your way up to leicester and yep. you know you probably weren't going to be playing like probably not you were you were saying to the goalkeeper coach what do i need to improve on or were you just sort of happy um, to go through the motions I, I, what i what i learned at leicester was not anything to do with goalkeeping per se. So I didn't technically become a better goalkeeper. I didn't learn anything. I was just trained. Right. Because, because goalkeeping coach at Leicester was a trainer. But what I learned was I learned, I learned um, the dynamics of the, co- the goalkeeping network. I mean, I knew it beforehand. I was, for the vast majority of my career, I was the number one. But I also learned, you know, I, I, I adopted a certain method, a certain yep. way that, I would treat everyone equally and I would treat everyone with respect and I'd, there'd be a certain kind of hierarchy and there was all that mutual respect. And I tried to bring people in and help and to, to move forward and go, right, let's, we can all better from here. If we all work together, let's go on the gym, let's do gym sessions. Let's go on this diet. Let's try and become the best that we possibly can uh, individually. And ultimately it comes down to who is the best then. And of yeah. course I've got to start because I'm number one currently. And if I keep getting better and better and better, but they keep getting better and better and better, it's only a matter of time before I get injured or I don't play because of a certain cup game or whatever and the manager decides to make a change and that person has to be ready to step in and play really, really well. And if anything, not that they're necessarily going to keep their place, they're going to show the club and remind everyone that I'm actually good enough to play at this level and then they get rewards from that. So... At Leicester, I learned that I, I, I learned what I already knew, but I, I was reconfirmed that you know there's an out and out number one, and no matter how you played and how you train, you were never going to be number one. Um, that it reconfirmed me about goalkeeping trainers as opposed to coaches and trainers. Mm. Um, the 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 different dynamics and, and hierarchy within the goalkeeping network, and I was kind of on the peripheral of that a little bit because of my experience and my age. I wasn't someone who was, who was ex, uh, susceptible to any kind of, um, you know, behavior towards me or lack of respect. Yep. But I could also question other people's behavior within that mm. group. Um, I learned, you know, what not to do as a goalkeeping trainer that you sit on the fence and you don't want to stir the pot. And even though you really know if you were asked and taken to the side, was that right what that person just did or how they behaved? Mm would they say that that was right? Or they just go, well, it's not my business or I don't mm-hmm. want to interfere. And, and that's what I, I learned. I mean, I learned also what a group of players can do together, you know, when they pull together and they can all work together and they can play to their strengths. I learned, you know, camaraderie, how much camaraderie can play in being successful. That's what happened at Leicester as well. Yeah. There's a lot of camaraderie and lessons to be learned in this podcast too, I would have thought. So if you're up for, you know, we could, maybe we could get coached one day. What do you reckon? Just to hone our skills. I, I, I just like to be coached. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, listen, I, I, I love that. I love when someone can show me something different, something new. 
it's not that just because someone comes up with another idea and believes that they, they believe that they can help you implement something. I had it at Chelsea, right? So there was a goalkeeping coach there, um, Christoph Lillisham, Lillisham, sorry, who was Petr Cech's goalkeeping coach. Petr loved him. And I had the utmost respect for him, but I didn't agree with everything, all of his methods. And he knew I didn't agree with all of his methods because I would question him. And then we'd have a discussion. So I would try everything, but then I'll go, okay, well, actually, I, did, I don't necessarily agree with that, yeah. with that exercise. I don't agree with your, your idea of how goalkeepers, maybe where a goalkeeper should position themselves. You know, but there are other elements, like he taught me, and it, it sounds silly, but it taught me to be a high-line playing goalkeeper right. as opposed to a goalkeeper that plays deeper in your box. And what that entails in positional play is about confidence because if you've, for the vast majority of your career, had to play deeper because you were in teams that were constantly under pressure, right. you then were, that was your normal sort of position on a pitch. So when you went to a place like Chelsea where you predominantly had possession of the ball, you dictated games, you needed a goalkeeper to be higher up his... Up his, up his uh, in his AER box, to outside his AER box, because there was more space between you and your defenders and you needed to control that area and be ready to come out and intercept any passes through. Yeah. So there were elements of that that I learned and became more confident with. And there were elements of, of, of sessions and there were drills that I did that I thought I was part of a circus. Yeah. You know, different colours, different coloured balls, diff, you know, different size balls, cones, bibs. Cross was taken. You had to call the colour of a bib that he'd hold up as he took the cross to no. taking a cross in the A and R box. Oh, sorry, in the yeah, in the A and R box that was zoned, and you had to call the number of the zone where you were catching the ball. So there was stuff like that, and I was like, "Wow, I never thought I'd be doing anything like this." And then I would question what relevance would that have yeah. in terms of my day-to-day goalkeeping. And it, the, the answer was, for example, on that particular drill, was that there were a lot of things happening as a cross comes in the ball and. You know, you've got to be aware of there's distractions. You're distracted, but then focus on the ball. And then as you're taking the ball in a certain zone in the A&R box, that I, he goes, the cold giving coach would say to me, it's my confirmation to say that I know that you know where the highest point of taking that cross is. And I'm like, but the distraction of calling the zone is actually distracting me from taking the ball at the highest point. Sure. You should be able to say to me whether I'm taking it at the highest point or not, which I believe I am. Not all the time, but a lot of the times, my timing, it's about everything. Timing is everything, everything yeah. in life. And it's the same with goalkeeping. And I'd come out and take a cross at what I would perceive as being the highest point. And because I didn't call it the right zone, it'd be like, ah, I've got the wrong zone. I'm like, no well, way. The, point. the point is, I've, thought, I've taken the, <laughs> the highest point. So clearly, I know where the highest point is. So if you make yeah, a save, but, but when, when he says, what colour's my bib? And you go, save, but yeah. you say red. And he goes, no, it was yellow. Well, yes, do you not pass the drill? Ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, it's, no it's kind of like you didn't do the drill properly. And it's, yeah, so that was a frustration. But, you know, it's a different style of training and it opens your eyes to things, you know. It's, listen, I think we, we did those drills pretty much every single day. And that was also my complaint. I was like, I get that. I, I get the variety. I think variety is great. And goalkeeping is one of those things that's quite monotonous at times. So having a variety of training sessions is great. But yeah. to do it maybe once a week or maybe, maybe at a push twice a week, yes. But the rest of the week, it's back to the basics. Catching the ball, positional play, taking crosses, feeling the confidence, going through the rhythm, the momentum, yeah. the, the, just the act is important. Um, feeling the ball hit your hands without any other distractions other than fully concentrated like you do in a game, 
you watch the ball. Your job is to, no matter what happens in front of you, is you are watching the ball, the mm. person taking the shot. And that's what annoyed me. But, you know, it's, it's, it was an experience and it was stuff that I learned a lot from. Quick, what colours my T-shirt? Go, three, two, Orange. one. Nah, it's more tangerine. Didn't pass. Didn't pass. We didn't get that technical. It was either like, you know, yellow, red, blue, yeah. uh, white. Jeez, you wouldn't want to be colourblind. Jeepers. Oh, yeah, you, yeah that's what I used to say. Is it, uh, I'm in trouble I'm colourblind, aren't I? And he goes, but you're not. And I go, no, I'm not. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Mark, uh, I've got to say, my Barossa ink is going down very quickly, very easily, and I've got steak for dinner, so I want to save the rest of it. How, how's your Spanish wine going down? Is it muchos delicios, or is it sort of oh, somewhere in between? Muy bien. Muy bien. Muy bien. And it's, really? and it's listen, it's, it's like it was last night. It's, it's, it's actually better the longer you leave the bottle open, it's, it's nicer. Well, I've always so, wondered that because it's almost like an advanced um, decanting process, isn't it? If you just leave yeah. it open overnight or what's the go? Yeah, overnight. Yeah, yeah. So my wife often doesn't finish her glass and it'd be something like that left in the glass. Yeah. And she'd just leave it on the table and then the next night she'd come back and pick up a glass and go, it's actually better today than it was yesterday. Not if Santa Claus like, oh, gets his hands on it in the middle exactly. of the night, go for a bit of milk and cookies. So exactly. I know you. Uh, exactly. Well, here are the two sharp reds. We do like to compare our wine to a player, past or present. If you don't mind, Mark, I'd like to, to take off. So I've, I've got a Barossa Inc. 2017 Shiraz. And it's interesting. I'm, I sort of knew who I was going to pick, but have changed my mind since we discussed this player in today's episode. So the perfect way that this wine describes itself is an intense and opulent Shiraz. So I thought opulent, opulent. What does that? Do you do, do you know what opulent means or the the direct meaning of it? I sort of have no, heard no, it. Well, I've heard it being used, but I thought, all right, what does it actually mean? And it says it's costly and luxurious. So okay. the definite you can use it in the term the opulent comfort of a limousine. So anything that's costly, luxurious. And I think I had my thoughts, uh, but I'm going to stick with Jack Wilshire after our conversation about him. He is very costly, very luxurious if he's got that space. I, I, th- I think he's the definition of opulent. Opulent Wilshire. That's, that's not bad from you, man. I, Good, I like isn't it? That. Yeah. I, I think... I, but I, see, I, I wouldn't have... The, the problem there is I wouldn't have ever thought of the word opulent unless it was on the bottle, which is sort of cheating, but, you know, what do you do? No, no, no. Listen, go with it, mate. I, I, I do that all the time. I like, I like oh, do to you? as much as I possibly can when it, when it comes to those sort of things. Yeah. Um, not normally, but in, in no, terms no, of... No, 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 I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And coloured games. <laughs> You're always cheating of those, aren't you? Yeah, what yeah, exactly. today, mate? Or just before I... Right, so mine, uh, it's expressive, but elegant. Um, and at times it can have a, a, it's a... It's a nice late night surprise. So with all that in mind, um, expressive, and someone that I, I would think that at times wouldn't be considered as being necessarily elegant, but he's definitely was elegant on the football pitch. Right. Ball at his feet, his ability. At times he, got, he was criticised for playing possibly too much sideways and maybe too much backwards. But he was someone that was very expressive on the football pitch. He was quite vocal, had the ability to find that pass. Wasn't someone who was necessarily going to finish 
finish, uh, you know, finish a, a shot on goal, score you lots of goals, did score the odd goal or two. Played with him at Chelsea. He was a midfield player that was, um, for me, it was surprising for, for how good a player he actually was. And I don't think you appreciated how good a player he was until you played with him. Right. The work rate, but there was a sense of elegance when he, when he did do the work rate and, and, and when he got the ball. Um, and he did pass the ball very elegantly. Good style, good stance. But did, he never surprised you late at night, this guy? No, he didn't necessarily surprise me late at night, but he surprised me in terms of how good a player he right. was and how important he was to the team um, and, and, and his contribution to the side. Um, and uh, and, he, and he, he's a good guy. And a good, he was a good laugh. And uh, he, was a, he was a player that won just about everything at Chelsea. And I don't think you'll guess who it is. I've got a theory, but hit me go up. On. No, go, go on. on. No, 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 you go. go. No, you go, right. then I'll go. So... I don't think you're going to get it. It's John Obi Mikel. Nah, it's not at all who I thought it would be. No. Who who were you thinking? (laughs) Well, I mean, it was funny because I was thinking... Why did you want to surprise? Oh, no, because I was thinking a surprise because I was thinking you've got your Lampards, you've got your Oscars because I don't know if you were there when Oscar was there. That might have been a crossover. Yeah, I was. But I I was thinking, I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. No. I think we know how good those sort of guys would be. So the surprise threw me off. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it, John Obi Mikel. So again, are you, are you surprised by that? By the surprise? But yeah, I've 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 been double surprised. Yeah, and then that's the thing. He is a bit of a surprise um, that he is far better than 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 probably the the outward of the club's perception. But in within the club, the teammates they all knew a good player he is. Yeah. And how how you know what a good job he did on the football pitch. It was more about perception generally at times. He quite, at times, you've got a little bit of flack from, from the Chelsea fans um, because of passing the ball too many sideways, backwards. But he's very calm on the ball. He wanted the ball every time. Elegant, you reckon? Of, yeah, he was elegant on the ball. Yeah. He was a bit of a pain in the backside at times because he'd want the ball in really, really difficult positions. And you'd try and play on the ball and he'd give it back to you really quickly and you'd be bang under pressure. So, but he just always wanted the ball. He just wanted to play football. And uh, he was a good guy. I, I, I liked him. I got, him, I got him really yeah. on really well, a reminder, guys, uh, that if you're out there listening to this, to join our Facebook group, uh, Two Sharp Reds by Optus Sport on Facebook. Leave it a nice review. There's been some nice ones coming in, Mark, uh, which has been great to see. And look, look, enjoy your time in Spain. I obviously won't hear from you from another seven days, but that's okay. As long as you're safe, well, happy and enjoying See, yourself, that's all I care about. That, that's not true. Don't let, don't let our listeners believe that that's true, right? We do message each other. Quite the me- regularly. Yeah, you know? the, the, the funny memes have dried up though. You know, I don't know since you've yeah, been away. Yeah, but we're kind of semi out of lockdown now. It's just trying to we- humour you, you know? Oh, you know, okay. now you've, you've, got, you've got a bit more of an outward, uh, sort of outside of uh, external, you know, sure. interaction with people now. So, yeah. you know, I was just trying to put a smile on your face. Yeah, well, I, I, I won't lie. It does feel like we've drifted apart. But as long as you confirm that it's, it was just because you wanted to get, because you know I live here, you know, very, pretty much alone. And so, yes. yeah, that's probably, that makes a lot of sense. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, pleasure, mate. No pleasure. Pleasure. Yes. Enjoy. Pleasure's Cheers. definitely all yours. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.